Good morning, everybody. Uh, So the Bible reading this morning is John chapter 11, verse 1 to 54. I'm glad you're all sitting down. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one that you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, The sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. And then he said to his disciples, Let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, A short while ago the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you are going back? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they walk, but for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Then Thomas, known as Didymus, said to the rest of his disciples, let us also go that we might die with him. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know that he will rise again at the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. And after she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and he is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who had opened the eyes of the blind man kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, By this time there is a bad odour, for he's been there for four days. And Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, 
Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they might believe that you have sent me. Then he said, in, when he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped in strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting at the Sanhedrin. What are we accomplishing? they asked. Here is this man performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. Then one of them, named Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, spoke up. You know nothing at all. You do not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people than the whole nation perish. He did not say this on his own, but as high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation, and not only for that nation, but for all the scattered children of God to bring them together and make them one. So from that day on, they plotted to take his life. Therefore, Jesus no longer moved around publicly among the people of Judea, Instead, he withdrew to a region near the wilderness, to a village named Ephraim, where he stayed with his disciples. Thanks, Laura. I'm going to pray and ask God to help us as we take a closer look at that passage together. Gracious Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that we have the privilege of hearing it. And ask that by your spirit, you might be exciting our own spirits uh, towards greater faith in you, and a love for Jesus that spills out into a love for others. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, people have been personifying death forever. Uh, from the clownish death on the stupid death segment in the Horrible Histories TV series, uh, to the emotionless and sometimes poorly acted death by Brad Pitt in... Uh, that terrible film called Meet uh, Joe Black, to the uh, the more sophisticated and mystified death uh, in The Book Thief. And why do we personify death? Why is it done so often? Why do we put a face on it? Why humanise it? Well, to make it more pleasant and less terrifying. Whereas the reality of death is far from pleasant and far from just a natural part of life that we need to get used to. Uh, Because death is an affront to life. Captured well, in fact, in the funeral poem written by a guy called W.H. Auden about uh, losing a loved one. It goes like this. He writes, The one he lost. He was my north, my south, my east and west, my working week and my Sunday rest, my noon, my midnight, my talk, my song. I thought that love would last forever. I was wrong. The stars are not wanted now. Put out everyone. Pack up the moon and dismantle the sun. Pour away the ocean and sweep up the wood, for nothing now can ever come to any good. Now I reckon that might capture something of where many people are at with death, particularly when they come face to face with it. When death is breathing down our necks in a hospital bread bed or sneering at us across tables, uh, in empty chairs. We see that no amount of love or good wishes can stop it. We can't laugh it away, 
and no amount of tears will appeal to its better nature because it's not a person. And yet it is our enemy. It's literally the opposite of life, something that all of creation, the stars, the moon, the sun, the ocean, the trees, can't compensate us for and instead mock us as we're touched by it. Death is an an appalling, all-consuming reality that is just terrifying. It's better not to talk about it, which is, of course, what many do, because we don't want to think of the end, our end or the end of those that we love. But, as we'll see in today's passage, death is not the end. And that's where we're going today, to see that first, uh, death controls the narrative, but not Jesus. Second, that death is not the end, Jesus is. But even more than that, death serves Jesus, which is the final point. But just a a quick recap on uh, where we've been so far in the Gospel of John before we get on to those points. Uh, After performing a bunch of incredible miracles like healing a uh, a lame man, uh, feeding thousands with just uh, a bit of bread and fish and healing a man born blind, uh, astonishingly, astonishingly, Jesus is... Uh, has been threatened with a couple of death threats uh, a couple of times by the religious leaders for claiming uh, that he is equal to God, equal with God. But he has avoided getting lynched and he seems uh, he's actually retreated with his disciples to safer pastures. But if we're uh, at all under the impression that death or the threat of it was controlling what Jesus did and where he goes, we'd be mistaken. Which brings us to the first point. Death controls the narrative, but not Jesus. Word comes to him, as we read, of his mate, Lazarus, who's sick and going to die, but rather than go to him, he waits two more days because, as he says in verse 4, this sickness will not end in death. No, it's for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. And yet Lazarus dies, as Jesus says, Two days later, verse 14, but Jesus is in control here. Not sickness, not death. His glory is the end of this story, not death. No one's going to be talking about poor old Lazarus suffering and dying. They're all going to be talking about Jesus at the end of this story and how he's from God. But we're not there yet. And everyone else still under the spell of death. Death is controlling the narrative. After all, death has a pretty strong track record of ending everyone's story, right? And it's never a happy ending. Uh, Of the two things that are said to be certain in life, only one of them always gets the dodgy rich as much as everyone else, and that's death. And when people are sick and die, or with others getting sick and dying, it always seems to control the narrative and to do strange things to them. Otherwise, civil family members turn on each other, or everyone starts saying strange things like, well, she's looking down from heaven on us. Uh, as if saying it makes it true. A bit like our mate Thomas here in this story. After Jesus has plainly said that Lazarus is sick, his sickness will not end in death, and then he has died, Thomas uh, says to everyone there in verse 16, let's go to him. Let's also go, uh, that we may die with him. What? Uh, Die with who? Uh, Jesus? Lazarus? And why would he think that? Now, people are divided over what Thomas is actually saying here. 
Uh, is he simply being stupidly brave? Yeah, let's go and die with Jesus. Uh, or is he being faithless and despairing? Well, we're all going to die like Lazarus anyway, so let's go. Uh, it's not actually that definitive. Nobody really knows. Um, and that's not really sure. It tells me that maybe even Thomas didn't know what he was saying. Uh, and his mates were, you know, probably pick, uh, pick it up, bring it up later at parties. Hey, Thomas, remember when you said, and he goes, all right, guys, enough's enough. It's not funny anymore. All right. All right. I said something stupid. Either way, he's either being stupid or faithless. Death has got his tangle tangled. Yeah, okay. Or it's exposing his unbelief. And maybe not just his, but all the disciples. Because from here on in, they disappear from the story. And I'll mention again. In a narrative sense, death sidelines them. And it's seen to go on controlling everyone, weighing people down with grief and shaming them in their misery, as we see when Jesus arrives and Mary comes to him. We read from verse 32, Mary reached the place where Jesus was, saw him, fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who'd come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. It seems Jesus suffers the heavy hand of death here too. He's lost his friend and he's overcome with grief. Death is the tune that everyone is dancing along to, even Jesus. Or is he? He knows what he's about to do, so why is he weeping? Uh, It can't be because death has beaten him into submission like everyone else, but maybe it's because he's seeing all his friends overcome and he can't help himself breaking down in grief with them. Maybe. Verse 33 is interesting though. After he sees his friend and others weeping, we're told he's deeply moved in spirit. Now the Greek word that's translated deeply moved in most of our Bibles, English Bibles, it's better translated as angry. Jesus is angry. But what's he angry at? Angry that people clearly don't believe him over death? Angry that... People, the people he loves so much are just so devastated and caught up in sin and sickness and death and unbelief that they just can't see him uh, and who he is in this mess of death because if they truly believed in him, they wouldn't be weeping. And so it might be he's angry at the whole thing, that sin and death have so robbed these people of life and hope and in his love for them he just can't help but be angry. It's true that we often get angry about what we love the most. Like the proverb says, for jealousy arouses a husband's fury and he will show no mercy when he takes revenge. So maybe Jesus' anger here is a little bit like a husband's jealousy. It's his love turning white hot against what that which is taking those that he loves away from him. And so he weeps here, not as someone beaten down by death, and people's unbelief into a hopeless submission, but as a jilted lover about to go on the war path without any mercy for death, as we'll see. Death may control the narrative for people, but not for Jesus. Because as we'll see, death is not the end. Jesus is, which is the second point. As Jesus again, uh, once again in a jealous fury, comes to Lazarus' tomb and he yells, Lazarus, come out! And the dead man comes out. Now, there's no doubt 
that Lazarus was dead. Everyone's weeping for a sick... They're not weeping for a sick man, they're weeping for a dead man. Uh, and he's been in the tomb for four days, there's a bad odour. The stench of death is literally over the whole scene, but Jesus blows it all away with three words. Lazarus, come out. And with that, it's a beatdown. Uh, Jesus beats death back. Even Jesus' opponents can't deny the miracle here, but it's more than a miracle, it's a sign. A sign of something greater, a sign that death is not the end for Lazarus here, or indeed for anyone, that Jesus himself is the end. As he earlier said earlier, when he first rocked up, rocked up and spoke to Martha, in verse 23, he says, uh, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Uh, Martha answered, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Now what's that? What's the resurrection at the last day? Well, in the Old Testament scriptures, they anticipate this, uh, what will happen at the end of this age. And so many of the Jews in Jesus' day, they were sure that at the end of these days, when this age ends, God will raise everyone from the dead. He'll then judge who goes to everlasting life and who goes to everlasting shame and contempt. Basically, judgment day is coming. And everyone will rise from the dead and stand before God. He'll then judge who goes to heaven and who goes to hell. And this day could be called Resurrection Day. Uh, And Jesus says to Martha in verse 25, I am the resurrection. He's saying, I'm the one who raises the dead at the end of the age. Everyone who dies will be raised by me. Some to go to hell, some to go to heaven, to eternal life. And Jesus says, He's the way to life. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Jesus is saying that whoever believes in him, who trusts in him, relies on him, on who he is and why he came, if they trust he's the resurrection and the life, then they'll live forever. Because to trust in Jesus is to be linked to him and his everlasting life. So although we will fall into the jaws of death because we're attached to Jesus by faith in him. As he rose from the dead to eternal life, so will we. It's like we're on a bungee rope attached to Jesus. You know, he's already fallen into the jaws of death to hell for us and he's risen and already rocketing out of death and he's dragging us up, up and away with him out of the jaws of death into eternal life. But better still, Uh, Jesus not only drags us up and up out of the jaws of death to hell, it's also uh, like once everyone linked to him is safe out of the jaws of of death, that he'll throw the holy hand grenade into the jaws of death and blow it out sky high to shut that mouth for good so that it'll never take anyone ever again. As the Bible says, uh, elsewhere death will be swallowed up in victory. On that last day, Resurrection day, death will die at the hands of Jesus and if you're believing in him as the resurrection and the life, life eternal is yours because death is not the end, Jesus is. But even more than that, Jesus not only beats death in the, in the next age, death serves Jesus in this age. Which is the third point, as we see the, sh- the story shift to Jesus' opponents. 
Uh, the chief priests and Pharisees, they're all grumbling at how Jesus is whipping up a frenzy of faith in him and that they fear will turn into a military revolt against Rome who in turn will then crush Israel, destroy the temple and take away uh, their religious way of life. So the high priest at the time, a guy called Caiaphas, he proposes a solution. Verse 50, he says, You don't realise that it's better for you that one man die for the people than the whole nation perish. And what's interesting is that his proposal is bang on. Uh, verse 31 51 tells us uh, he didn't say this on his own, but as high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation. And not only for that nation, but also for the scattered children of God to bring them together and make them one. So from that day on, they plotted to take his life. Caiaphas, he says, more than he knows, because Jesus does die as a substitute for people. Caiaphas is only thinking of him dying for the people of Israel in a political sense, but we know Jesus dies for all people in a spiritual sense to make them one with God. And he'll do it at a time of his choosing, which is why he withdraws from public life for a bit in verse 54. And so while the religious leaders plot to take Jesus' life and we see, Jesus, see death kind of bear its fangs in the evil intent of these men, the fact is Jesus chooses when, he, uh, when to die at their hands. And in this we see death... It's actually serving Jesus more than them. Because his death serves to save all those he loves, to save them from the jaws of death to hell into eternal life. And in this we see death serves Jesus. Firstly, his own death, and then the death of all those who love him. As the Apostle Paul says, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, neither angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Death cannot separate us from God's love in Jesus. Instead, we know that even in death, our death and the death of others, God will work for the good of those who love him. For those in Jesus. Death still serves Jesus for his good and for our good. As Paul says elsewhere uh, to Christians at the time, to live is Christ and to die is gain. I desire to depart to be and be with Christ, which is better by far but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Because we know death is not the end, that Jesus is, and that while death might try hard to control the narrative in our lives, it cannot control Jesus. Indeed, death serves Jesus to save us and to work the good for us. And so for those of us who are believing in Jesus, death need not control us. Indeed, we can see it serving us for our good. And all this can mean a bunch of things uh, for us. But here's a few thoughts. Firstly, it's impossible to avoid hell if we die and we don't believe in Jesus. And so any fear that people might have of death is reasonable. It's understandable then 
that people would avoid talking about death or try to domesticate or normalise it, either by personifying it or laughing about it or telling themselves made-up stories in the face of it or clinging to the teachings of mere men and women about it to make themselves feel better. But these make sense if we don't believe in Jesus. These are the kind of things we should expect of those fearing death. But death is not the end. Jesus is. So please, if death scares you and you're wondering where you'll go when you die, believe in Jesus. His love for you is so fierce, he went through death and hell for you so that you wouldn't have to. Please, uh, chat with a Christian friend or a family member if you want to follow this up. Or drop me a line, come and chat to me, I'm more than happy to talk about this with you more. That's the first thing. Secondly, uh, as impossible as it is to avoid hell without believing in Jesus, it's just as impossible to miss heaven by believing in Jesus. Because he is the resurrection and the life. He rose a man from the dead, suffered death himself, and rose from the dead himself to prove it. He's the guy at the end of the age who decides who gets into heaven and who doesn't. And he says the whole path is faith in him. That means our dear friend and brother Peter, who died on Friday, believing in Jesus, he'll have have been met by Jesus. And on that last day, Jesus will raise him to eternal life. As sure as he breathed his last breath here, his next will be in a resurrected body given to him by Jesus to enjoy eternal life with him. That's not wishful thinking or a made-up story that we tell ourselves just to make ourselves feel better over losing him or others that we know that have died. It is a reality founded on the word of Jesus whose authority is such that at a word from him, death couldn't hold a man from coming out of his grave. Indeed, Jesus' power and authority over death is such that if he hadn't specified Lazarus' name when he called out, Who's to say all that were dead at the time couldn't have been stopped coming out of their graves? Peter and all those who die believing in Jesus are subject to the power and authority of Jesus' word. They won't be able not to rise from the dead to eternal life. Praise God. Thirdly, given that death is not the end, and Jesus is, it might be worth talking about death with those who don't know Jesus. Now, many years ago when I was working in a company business, uh, it was Melbourne Cup Day and so all the staff were spending a bit of time hanging out. I was in a group of uh, a few guys, two of them I was keen to get to know. Uh, the other one I already knew, he was a Christian guy, and his opening line uh, to them was, so, where are you going when you die? They looked awkwardly at each other and then at me. One walked away uh, and the other lingered only long enough not to seem rude. So, good question, but you know, perhaps not so great on the timing. But as someone wisely pointed out to me recently, better to ask early than never at all. Because death is not the end for them. There's literally hell to pay if they don't know Jesus. So, I wonder if you've gone there 
with your friends and your family? Have you talked about death, their death, your death? Maybe talk about why it never gets talked about or only when there's a funeral. And even then, perhaps not even in a meaningful sense. Let's keep death on the agenda because we know death is not the end for people. It doesn't have to be. Jesus is. And lastly, as we come, perhaps, to a funeral or interact with people after someone we know has died, which is going to be the case if it hasn't already been for us, it's possible to make sure death doesn't control the narrative. And we'll know if death is. We'll know if death is controlling the narrative. It's when people despair of life without their loved one and grieve without hope in Jesus, which is most non-Christian funerals, right? And most conversations with those who've lost someone and don't know Jesus, right? I wonder if in those moments we might remember Jesus' response in this passage, his jealous anger. His jealous anger at death and the sin and unbelief surrounding and how it was taking people away from him and that we might feel something of Jesus' jealous love for people in their faithless grief and feel it enough to weep with them for their unbelief as much as for their loss and to pray for them and with them to thank God for Jesus who will only do what is right and good with the living and the dead as much as to thank him for the life that he gave their loved one. Let's see death continue to serve Jesus as we bring our hope in Jesus to bear when comforting those who are grieving. So, death might control the narrative, but it can't control Jesus because death is not the end. Jesus is. And even more than that, death serves Jesus. And I'm going to pray with that in mind. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you that death is not the end, but that Jesus is. He is the resurrection and the life, the one who judges at the end, the very one who has suffered and died in our place so that we might escape eternal death and no eternal life. Please help us as those snatched out of the jaws of death to hell by Jesus and his death in our place to be moved to love those around about us to keep death on the agenda to keep talking about how death is not the end and that Jesus is and to be lovingly and caring for those particularly who are grieving grieving without hope that we might pray for them and weep with them to the end that they might know Jesus and the hope that we have in him. That death is not the end and that Jesus is our great and wonderful eternal saviour. And we pray this in his precious name. Amen.